0: Good morning. It's nice to be together again, isn't it? I'm going to read the scriptures this morning. They're in your bulletin if you want to follow along. And the texts are taken from Exodus and from the book of Joshua. This first one is from Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured, possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And now from the book of Joshua, Joshua 23, 14 through 16. You know with all your heart and soul, that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. And then in Joshua 24, verses 24 and 25, And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. May God bless the reading of his word today. And Mark, let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for my husband, Mark. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with God's people, both in person and online. And I thank you. That your word goes forth, God, and it's not going to return without accomplishing the purpose for which you send it. So I just pray that you help Mark to express what is in your heart, O God, and what you have shown him as he has studied and applied himself to your word. So I ask you to bless him and anoint him for this time and anoint us that we might hear what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, good morning,
1: everyone. I have to do a sound check here because I'm used to working behind a microphone. And Robin last week told me to kind of increase my volume. It's a bit challenging because my uh, audience is over 20 feet, six, seven meters in front of me here. I've got roosters crowing in the background. And we have our neighbors at the Orthodox Church uh, visiting outdoors as well. But uh, we'll uh, manage to get through this. And please tell me, if you can't hear me, by uh, tell me to increase the volume, if you will. So it's Father's Day today, and I want to congratulate all of the physical fathers, the spiritual fathers, and some who will be fathers to be in the future on this very special day. Uh, we don't have any uh, gifts to give out to you today other than to uh, wish you a, a wonderful Father's Day. Uh, as I look around, I think we have only one father and son uh, in residence with us today, uh, with the Willises. But uh, anyway, uh, for those uh, both here and watching, uh, we want to just thank you so much. And just to give a bit of trivia about my own father, uh, my middle name is Wayne named after my father, Wayne Wilson. And so uh, here I'm Mark Wayne, you know, because I'm not used to dealing with middle names, so I'll often get that uh, as I'm going. But, uh, and uh, when we moved there in 2011 uh, from Istanbul to Antalya to be a part of St. Paul Union Church, uh, we had just arrived. We were actually staying with the Baltimores looking for our own apartment. When I got word that my father had passed away in the state of North Dakota. Uh, He was going to be 90 years old that July. We were making plans to go back to the United States to celebrate his 90th with him, and uh, we got this uh, word of of, uh, unexpected uh, heart attack, Uh, and so I had to leave Dindy here. We had not moved into our apartment. I had to fly back for my father's funeral, but he's With the Lord now, we praise the Lord for that, for a long, productive life for him. But it's sort of a a memory associated with our moving to Antalya, with his death that happened soon after we arrived. Well, today we're in the third part of our series on biblical covenants, following those of Noah and Abraham that Raman has spoken on the past two weeks. And he's done an excellent job of explaining what a covenant is. And he's used two analogies with covenants that we're used to. Uh, one of them is, of course, a marriage covenant, where, which God introduces in chapter 2 of Genesis, where the two became one flesh, that is, Adam and Eve there. And those of us uh, who are married or have been married uh, understand uh, the requirements and duties of the covenant, of the vows that are exchanged at, uh, at the time of marriage. Now, another covenant or contract that we're all familiar with, uh, those of us who live in Turkey, is rental agreements. So since we all have to deal with Icumets and uh, in part of the application process, we have to produce one of these, don't we, (laughs) to do that, not only in Turkish, but then so we understand what we're signing. (laughs) We have to get it translated and taken to the notaire, uh, to get it in English as well. And this becomes part of the application process. And, of course, our, the our landlords here uh, are, uh, as everyone else, uh, the part of their agreement is to take care of the uh, apartment, any major repairs that would take place, paying the taxes on the building and other types of things. And our part of the conditions, of course, is to maintain the care of the apartment, uh, to pay our rents on time, uh, inform the landlord of any problems. And so uh, just a very simple example of a covenant or a contract that we all deal with. This past week, I just renewed my contract on my office. And so it's just a part of our daily lives here uh, as we deal with these type of things. So. But as Robin said, the covenant that God makes is a bit more, uh, not as equal as we have either in marriage or with uh, rental agreements, but God is the initiator of the covenant, and the covenant today of Moses that we'll look at today will be in three parts. So we'll, we'll hang the message on the covenant remembered, the covenant inaugurated, and then the covenant reaffirmed. Remembered inaugurated and reaffirmed and then at the end of this we'll summarize this and bring this into a practical application for us as believers in Christ today now Robin has had much more limited texts to work with I have five books in the Old Testament okay so we're not even going to do a helicopter view we're going to do a drone view This morning, so just be patient with me as we try and uh, summarize this uh, as we go forward. Now, I assume that during the times of stay at home and lockdowns over these past several months, uh, some of you have been watching series on TV, maybe on Netflix or another streaming service, okay? And so as you begin each episode, What happens? You get a summary, don't you, of what's gone before. So if you've missed it or it's been a while since you you know, uh, saw the past episode, you can go through the summary and and catch yourself up to where you're at in the plot line. If you don't want to, you go down to the lower right and click the (laughs) skip, and you go right into the next episode. So we see with our initial text here that basically Exodus begins with a summary just like this. And we see then, the, uh, we're reminded then, that during the days of Joseph in chapter 1 of Exodus, that Jacob has come down to Egypt with his family of 70, coming down here to survive the uh, famine that's happening all over that part of the world. But Joseph's generation has died. And the privileged position that the Israelites had under Joseph has now been forgotten. And they are reduced to slavery. Now, last week, Robin highlighted the years that passed between the promises that God gave to Abraham. And we were talking about that, how interesting it was between the promise of Isaac and Isaac's birth 25 years, you know, and, and the obedience and patience that uh, Abraham ha- had then to see these promises fulfilled. But in Genesis 15, we're told that when the descendants of Abraham go down to Egypt, they're going to be there for 400 years, okay? So centuries now, instead of decades, (laughs) have passed for these promises to be taking place uh, here that we're going to look at this morning. As we look at the next installment, then, of God's dealing with the descendants of Abraham, uh, the Israelites, the exact date of the uh, of the Exodus is still a matter of scholarly debate. I'm not going to enter into this. Are we talking about an early date or a late date? But that's something to you for you to do some study if you want to for uh, some further homework after this message. But it certainly has been four to five hundred years then between these uh, promises that have been given. And so in chapter C2, we see the Israelites crying out to God, and what happens? Moses is born. So, despite the decree of male infant infanticide that the Pharaoh has decreed, we see Moses miraculously saved out of the river by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And why has this happened? Well, in 24 to 24 of Exodus. We're told that God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And we see now God being, uh, Moses being God's chosen instrument then to spear the deliverance of the people from Egypt. A few chapters later in Exodus chapter six, verses four and five, this covenant is recalled again. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant." So he is remembering the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, based on that covenant, God is planning to act. God's future covenant with Israel then, that's gonna be mediated through Moses, is thus based on the promises that were given to Abraham and his descendants, that they would possess the land of Canaan. Remembering his promise, God now delivers Israel from the Egyptians and brings them as a people through the Red Sea in the miraculous deliverance of the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And after the exodus now, the Israelites are gathered in the wilderness of Sinai to await God's next step in fulfilling his covenant. The covenant remembered. We next move on to the covenant inaugurated. Those of you who are reading up much on biblical archaeology know that one of the most contested issues is where is the location of Mount Sinai or its alternate name Horeb? So traditionally it's been situated on the Sinai Peninsula, uh, the the traditional place of Sinai where the St. Catherine's Monastery is located. Uh, All the times I've been to Israel, I've still not been to St. Catherine's in this area. Most recently it's been quite dangerous for traveling there. So that's still on my bucket list to get down to this area in the Sinai Peninsula in the country of Egypt. If you do any type of a search, even on Wikipedia, you'll see that eight other locations are suggested for the location of Mount Sinai. Four of these are in Jordan and Saudi Arabia. So it remains an issue of the geography of this area. While archaeologists and historians may not be able to clarify conclusively where the mountain is, the uh, the mountain is so important, though, for us in terms of biblical history and biblical covenant. For here God had made his most important covenant that continues to be revered and obeyed by Jewish people today. So before entering the promised land, God had to refresh and update, using some computer speak here, okay, to refresh and update his covenant with Abraham, with a new generation of Israelites. In our text that was read from Exodus 19, God is now instructing Moses to tell the Israelites three things. Number one, there is a reminder. He's telling them to remind them of his redemptive work when he miraculously delivered them from Egypt on eagles' wings. So again, this aspect of remembrance always with the covenant. What did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. So an important part of covenant is remembering what God has done in the past. God tells Moses then to tell the Israelites that, that he's going to affirm that they will be his treasured possession with a big if in bold, underlined, capital letters, if they obey him and keep his covenant. So we see immediately there are conditions related to this possession of the land of Canaan. And the third thing Moses is to give God's promise that they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation before God. And these promises of relationship, once again, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, if the covenant is kept. So the basic conditions of keeping this covenant are now spelled out in Exodus chapter 20, in the 10 words. Or commands, as we commonly call them, the Ten Commandments. The Greek Septuagint calls them the Decalogoi, from which we get the word Decalogue. The Ten Commandments in English, better known uh, that uh, Decalogue or Ten Commandments. And while the identification and arrangement of these uh, these 10 varies among different uh, Jewish and Christian traditions, so again, you can look up 10 commandments and you can see various traditions, which is uh, one number or not, there's differences, but they all agree we got 10 here, okay? But we certainly know and understand the commandments. The first four, if you know, are vertical, dealing with, human relationship with God. The second group of six are horizontal, dealing with our relationship with our fellow human beings. So both a vertical and horizontal dimension then in these ten words. And in 192 God begins his uh, giving of the ten words by first reminding Israel that he has fulfilled his promise, to Abraham in Genesis 15:16, says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, reminding them they have passed through the Red Sea from Egypt and are now gathered here at the foot of Mount Sinai for God to give uh, his um, 10 words. We look at these first four vertical commandments. Some of you may have memorized these. You You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So the four vertical ones. And now the six horizontal ones. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. As you know, some of these are much more in detail, I'm just summarizing uh, them in the interest of time. Now, as Robin discussed with the first two covenants, God gave a sign to seal that covenant with uh, both Noah and With Abraham, do you remember what those signs were? With Noah, it was what? Yeah, the bow, the rainbow. And with Abraham, what was the sign or seal of that covenant? Circumcision, Circumcision, okay? The bow and circumcision. Well, we've got a sign uh, for this covenant as well. And we see this in... Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So we're told clearly here that the Sabbath now, the keeping of the Sabbath, is that marker, then for the Israelites, then, as a sign that they have accepted the covenant that God has given to them here on Mount Sinai. After the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, of course, he gives them the two tablets of stone in which he's written with his finger most probably these 10 words, which are, in a sense, symbolizing the entire covenant. Yet, of course, we know the sad story, the next episode of what happens. And remember that is uh, on the mountain with, with uh, Moses as well as his, his assistant there. They come off the mountain after spending the, this glorious period in the presence of God, and what do they find on the plain below? The Israelites, in their impatience, thinking that Moses is lost, have asked Aaron to make a, another god. And Aaron has made a golden calf, and the people are in revelry and celebration around this idol, the golden calf. And, of course, in his anger coming down and seeing what has happened to the Israelites here during this very brief period of his absence, Moses becomes angry and upset and throws the tablets to the ground and breaks them. And so we see, of course, then they take the calf, they grind it up, and they make it into a powder, and Israel is forced to drink this uh, and bringing judgment upon themselves for <laughs> at the very inception of the covenant. They cannot stay uh, t- true to the God who has just miraculously delivered them from Egypt. But again, we're told a few verses later in chapter 34 that God in his grace again has Moses Recording the ten words of the covenant on another tablet uh, that's there. As you know, the story of the wilderness wanderings now over the next 40 years, you know that this event at Mount Sinai caused God to lose confidence in this generation of Israelites, who he had done such great things for. But uh, despite these miracles, they have been faithless. The book of numbers provides the sad details of their ongoing faithfulness or excuse me faithlessness during Israel's 40 years of wanderings in the uh, east of the Jordan. And so the result of this was that this entire generation was not allowed to cross the Jordan River to enter the promised land, but they were had to die east of the Jordan, with that promise unfulfilled. So the covenant still had not been fulfilled because of their faithlessness. We come to the next episode in our story, The Covenant Reaffirmed. So now we're at the book of Deuteronomy, that literally means second law, Deuteronomos, the second law that's given. We see now Moses beginning with a new generation, that he's hoping is going to be faithful. And this generation is now led by Joshua, his assistant. Even Moses is forbidden to cross over into the promised land. And so as this new generation has gathered on the east bank of the Jordan River, we see Moses addressing them in Deuteronomy 1.8, once again rega- recalling God's promise to the, his people. See, I've given you this land, Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. And in chapter 5, verses 6 through 21, he reminds Israel of the ten words that he had patiently given uh, at Sinai to their parents. But their parents, because of their faithfulness uh, and idolatry, failed the test. And so God is now working with a new generation to cause them to come into covenant relationship with him. So in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, he now summarizes these vertical commandments about God into one commandment, still known today in Judaism as the Shema. Shema, Israel. I don't know, Illinois. Hear, o Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So verse probably all of you know by heart (laughs) there. And this is part of the reset of the covenant for this generation. And the book of Deuteronomy closes in chapters 27 and 28 with Moses commanding Israel to renew God's covenant once they cross the Jordan into the promised land. But how were they to do it? Now, he wasn't going to be there to to do this with them. He was not allowed to cross over. So he's committing the, the people of Israel into the hands of Joshua to do this once they cross over. But he's telling them what they need to do. He says six tribes are to stand on Mount Ebal. The other six tribes are to stand on Mount Gerizim. And what are they to do there? So those on each mountain then are to declare the curses that would come upon Israel if she failed to keep the covenant. The others were to declare the blessings that were to come upon Israel if she kept the covenant. So these were the conditions then that are spelled out in detail in Exodus, in Leviticus especially, and, and, uh, numbers in Numbers and Deuteronomy here of how Israel is supposed to uh, uh, keep the conditions of the covenant that are spelled out how they were to live as god's people and rabbis later summarize all these totaling them to 613 commandments in these many verses that we have uh, in these books so the actual covenant then that has been prescribed at the end of deuteronomy by moses on evil and garrison does not actually take place in Joshua until we get to chapter 8. So we've got to go through Jericho and I and all the story of actually physically getting Israel to these two mountains in order to renew the covenant. And the text that Dindi read recounts how before his death, now Joshua led a further, another covenant renewal at Shechem in chapter 24 where again he presented the terms of the covenant to Israel. He again reminded them of God's deliverance from Egypt and how he drove out their enemies so they could inhabit the promised land. And to his exhortation to put away foreign gods and serve the Lord only, the people responded to Joshua in verse 24 of chapter 24, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. This is their response. And the result of their agreement was, on that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them its decrees and its laws. We often speak of the first five books of the Old Testament as the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And as we see this morning, the story really doesn't end, does it, in terms of covenant of those five books. Moses's disciple who's with him on Sinai is really responsible to lead this new generation of of the Israelites into the promised land and to confirm the covenant as Moses commands them once they arrive in the promised land. So from the covenant of Moses in Exodus on through the book of Joshua, we really have a Hexateuch rather than a Pentateuch of six books of law that are being given that are recounting the covenants with Abraham as the descendants, then with Moses and the Israelites. So, how do we bring this all together in forms of a summary? What is the importance of the covenant of Moses reconfirmed by Joshua with the people for us as Christians today? I suggest to you that the importance of this covenant and sign is underscored by the fact that we have five books in the Old Testament that are dedicated to the promised inauguration and reaffirmation of this covenant. It's a covenant that stood for over a thousand years until Jesus introduced a new covenant, a topic that Dindy is going to pick up in two weeks. So I don't want to intrude on her territory. Now, one thing that we as Christians often struggle with is what is our relationship to this covenant? While there isn't time today to discuss this in detail, this is certainly will be a topic for further discussion at the Bible study on Wednesday night. So please uh, join us uh, online. I actually, uh, not online, in person here, excuse me, at the center. I will be out of town, so I won't be there, so I, I have to turn this over to Robin to, to lead this discussion. And I hope it will be a, a good one, because it's really a, a relevant and important topic. But let me suggest a few reasons this morning why it's significant for us, particularly as summarized in the Decalogue the Ten Commandments. When we look at Jesus speaking in Matthew 5:17. what does he say? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we notice that in Jesus' earthly mission was not to abolish, but to fulfill. And throughout his earthly ministry, we see him doing exactly that. So Jesus never undermines the teaching of Moses, but is constantly affirming it. So when the rich young man asks how he can obtain eternal life, what does Jesus reply? He quotes five of the Ten Commandments in Matthew 19. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So this final command, while not in the Decalogue, summarizes the intent of these six horizontal commandments, and it's expressed in Leviticus 19.18, which says, Love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Now Paul likewise quotes five of the commandments in his ethical teaching to Christians in Romans chapter 13. is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus, Paul, both affirming the role of the the law of Moses, the the Decalogue here. So we see both continuity and discontinuity when we talk about the law of Moses today. Now, commonly, biblical theologians and scholars make a distinction between various aspects of the law, and I defer to Tremper Longman, a very good Old Testament scholar to the inside here specifically and he sees that we have three aspects of law under the covenant with Moses ceremonial law civil law and the moral law and he rightly notes that many Old Testament scholars would object to this saying that for Israel they were a whole, they were a a, a complete uh, package there, They, they would never have distinguished these through three dimensions of it. But we see, though, in the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels, he actually begins to deconstruct these three elements in his teaching. So how does he do it? For example, under civil law. Israel was no longer in charge of its political destiny. They were under the rule of the Romans. So civil law was not even a dimension of law for them to administrate, to adjudicate anymore. So what does Jesus says? Say, give unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? Give unto God what is God's? So we see already uh, part of this in terms of civil law. As we look at ceremonial law, many of the ceremonies, the feasts are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. For Christ is our Passover lamb, right? What does he say about the Sabbath? The Sabbath is not made for humans, but humans for the Sabbath. What does he say about food? He declared all foods clean. So even dimensions of ceremonial law are adjusted and changed by Jesus in his own teaching, especially in preparation for the gospel to going out beyond just one nation, but to all nations to the preaching of the gospel. So the ceremonial law, as we've said, consists of these rituals, the sacrifices and feasts, and many of which are fulfilled in Christ. And the civil laws that were related to Israel about living daily life as a people and a nation, now the kingdom of God that functions for us in a very different sense. As we look back over church history, the big problem that the church has gotten into is when they attempt to intrude into civil government and to begin to take a role in a political affairs, no matter what era, no matter what country, when the church, and I'm not saying that the church is not to be engaged in the world, but the kingdom of God is not political, it is spiritual. And so uh, we pray, we influence, but this is not our realm uh, we, we're the our kingdom is a future one and not on this earth. And we know that power always corrupts. But I would suggest to you that the third part of the law of Moses, the moral law that's embodied in God's ten words, the ten commandments, will never pass away, where they form the ethical core of how the creator wants us, his people, to live In his creation. In Christ now we have the spiritual capacity to fulfill these words because they are now in our hearts. So in conclusion, the Ten Commandments, the heart of the Mosaic Covenant, are summarized both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as what? Loving God and loving our neighbor. And by fulfilling these two through the power of the Holy Spirit, the entire law is fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for Moses, a man of God, Lord, who was obedient, Lord, to convey the covenant that you gave on Mount Sinai to Israel as a people. And Lord, as we see so many times, Israel fell short The promises that they said, yes, we will obey, they in fact did not. And Lord, that the blessings that they lived under for much of their history were also brought as curses upon them when they disobeyed. And we thought, thank you, Lord, that as we come into the teaching of Jesus, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ten Commandments, the law that uh, endures forever, has now been placed on our hearts to fulfill uh, through uh, loving you and loving our neighbors. So God, we just commit this time to you and thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study this covenant today. In Jesus' name, amen.